Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borinaf of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the On Air podcast. I hope you had a nice week and you have enjoyed our most recent episode. We've chosen a nice, light, happy, celebratory topic for one section of our podcast today, <laughs> and also a somewhat more controversial financial controversy, conspiracy theory riddled yeah. episode yeah. for the other side of the podcast today. And I feel like we should start with the conspiracy theory. Probably not conspiracy theory, but I just think that's a more fun way to start, building with the big one. That's also because it's the fast one in my notes and it requires me to turn pages to get to the other bit. Okay, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I've, mine's all, my notes are all typed up, so it's easier for me to just scroll down half of it. I've only read half a page on the happy one, so. <laughs> okay, so. um, Ah, seriouser. Seriouser? It's not a word. No, seriouser topic this week. You're a teacher, is... Grace. <laughs> Our more serious topic this week is... um a look at the stories that have recently arisen about Royal Lodge which is the property in Windsor Great Park where the Duke of York Prince Andrew currently lives and has been living since 2004 and there has been a story that's kind of come up recently in the press surrounding him and finances and Charles and we thought we'd do a bit of a history of the Royal Lodge um, and then look at kind of the story that's happened and our thoughts on it. Yes. So we talked in episode 14 all about royal homes, kind of who manages them, who pays for them, how they're categorised. So if you want to go and listen to that one, that might be a good introduction. But we did want to delve into this one specific property, um, which is at Windsor. Um, I think because, well, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Grace, but I know for some reason I know quite a lot about this. This is kind of my bread and butter financial <laughs> boring financial stuff is my bread and butter um and I found a lot of the coverage of this misleading and false and confusing hello this is Jessica from the future speaking to you um just wanted to put in a little disclaimer in here that we talk heavily in this episode about Prince Andrew and Royal Lodge we record on a Sunday um and since the podcast was recorded there have already been developments to this story um we obviously weren't aware of them at the time so we can't talk about them but um we just wanted to say that some of the information might be a little bit out of date or um it might be might have changed since we recorded the podcast so just be aware of that when you're listening but yeah, let's, I mean, I don't have much on the history. I'm assuming you have much more because you're much better at the history stuff than I am. Um, so what what's Royal Lodge's history? Okay, so I was going to go for the whole Royal Lodge history, like a part where uh, William IV demolished the whole cottage apart from the um, conservatory, but I decided that was a bit excessive. So um, so the Royal Lodge is on the in the grounds of the Windsor Great Park, just south of Windsor Castle. It is obviously a 30 room I can say lodge it's a 30 room massive house yeah they, they call things lodge and cottage a lot to just lead, to mislead us and the, it has you know 40 hectares of land now I did a bit of googling I'm not entirely sure how big a hectare is but I think that's quite big, quite big yeah. <laughs> um, it's got a swimming pool it comes with other cottages so there's a gardener's cottage there's a sort of mini chapel there are 
lots of other cottages that are all part of don't count it within these 30 rooms of the royal lodge but are all sort of owned by the royal lodge a bit like outhouses except they're entire cottages it has it was one of those cottages that was originally a private property it was originally like a present to go along with the castle um but it's over the years become one of the crown estate properties so it's owned by the crown i think the two most famous inhabitants are probably the current the current one prince andrew and you know his family and prior to him from the death of george the sixth to her death in 2002 was the queen mother and up until that point it was kind of used as like a holiday home for mm. newly married couples so for example when william the fourth married he sort of it was his sort of instead of going to the castle he went to the holiday home of royal lodge or when so the Georges when the Georges were in Windsor sometimes they would spend their like personal time in the lodge rather than the castle so it was always like the the smaller cosier secondary home mm. compared to the actual massive castle um but it was never like a primary property really until the Queen Mother moved in it was always like this is our, our distant home our Windsor home and it was the Queen Mother's Windsor home as well she had a home in London but and it's Andrew's home home really um, but for all the others, it was more of a like Balmoral type situation rather than a mm. proper proper house situation. But yeah, it was it's a uh, an interesting one because it's been demolished a lot. It's it got it's been knocked down quite a few times and rebuilt. Apart from the conservatory, which for some reason they're just like big fan of that conservatory. Leave <laughs> that there. Don't want to get rid of our conservatory. Gonna have to look up pictures of Royal Lodge's conservatory because I don't know why it's so special. <laughs> Yeah, they keep knocking it down, and I'm pretty sure that is where the the little tiny house the Queen and Margaret had when they were children. Yes. I'm sure that is on the grounds of the Royal Lodge, because that's where she spent a lot of time growing up, because it was their fun holiday house. So, yeah, it's kind of like a playhouse for royals, is what I'm going to view it as, because it's only got 30 rooms. It's quite small. Only 30 rooms. I mean, I've got <laughs> three rooms, really, because one's a kitchen <laughs> and living room, so I've got three rooms. It's got 10 times more than me, but it's their cosy home. Um, and I think also, and this might come out later in some of my notes, um, it's very close to the church in Windsor that they all, the, the sort of private royal family's yes. church. So you kind of have to go through Andrew's land to get to that church almost. Um, so it's kind of, it's it's very centrally located. It's like very important to the sort of Windsor estate, I suppose. It's like very at the, at the core of the Windsor estate. I mean, this might come up later, but it's it's always been this like, cozy home but mm. I did find out it has a flagpole that Andrew used to fly his Duke of York standard on when he was in residence oh, goodness sake. and oh. I'm fairly sure that apart from the Queen the other royals just don't fly their standard when they're residents and then when he you know got fired they he had to stop doing that but I just like the fact that in this private home he had he was like I'm home put the flags out oh goodness me so yeah, that th- thank you for the history of Royal Lodge. That was very illuminating. But I think the the kind of story now. So it, it's interesting because the story kind of keeps mutating. Um, I would say, <laughs> um, and so I think the story started off as Andrew was going to be kicked out of his home by Charles, and then it was that he was being forced out because Charles was paying his allowance and he wouldn't be able to afford the upkeep, so he was kind of being de facto forced out. And then on top of that, there's just been all of this sort of commentary around it and what it means and how it makes Charles look fantastic and Andrew is terrible and all these sorts of things. So there's lots to kind of untangle. Um, but I thought 
starting off with the stories made sense. So the first, the initial story that the press ran with was Andrew's going to be kicked out of his home. That's what was initially said. You know, Andrew, I think uh, Grace said he moved in in 2004. He signed his lease in 2003. And he signed a 75-year lease with the Crown Estate. So we talked about the Crown Estate, and I think in episode 14. Um, but just to give a brief summary, the Crown Estate is a property portfolio. Um, and it used to be owned by the monarch. It was various land that used to be owned by the monarch. And they used to use that money to run their life, but also to run the government and to run loads of things um, that sort of kept the country going. And then one of the monarchs, I can't remember, I think it was a George, maybe it was a William. I don't know. Somebody got really massively in debt. Probably a George. Yeah, probably. Um, there's enough of them that, you know, you've got a good shout of it being a George. Um, but he he got into massive debt. And so they came to an agreement that the, he would give the crown estate over to the government um, and they would use that and sort of you, and run the take over the financial running of the country and things like that. And in exchange, they would give taxpayer funds to the monarchy to keep their business going so that they didn't really have to manage this property portfolio, which they were doing a terrible job of. Um, and that's, that relationship has kind of continued through the generations. So the Crown Estate is not owned by the monarch. Um, it's kind of held in trust by the Crown, which is an entity, which includes the monarchy, but also includes the government. It includes the judiciary. It's a very complicated. It's not really a thing. It's like a symbol. Um, and so that's who he signed his lease agreement with, is with the, um, with the Crown Estate. Um, so I think, yeah. <clears throat> One thing to say is that he signed this lease for 20, uh, 75 years. So like any other tenant in any other, um, a, a lease provides you with legal protection. And so he cannot be kicked out at, when he signed a 75 year lease just because his brother doesn't like him. Unless it says in the lease, you can be kicked <laughs> out because your brother doesn't like you. Also, um, the story, the headline is Charles kicks Andrew out of Royal Lodge. Um, Charles does not own a royal lodge. Charles cannot be kicking anyone out of a royal lodge. It's not his house. That's a crime. The opposite of false imprisonment, like false ex-prisonment. False ex-prisonment. Are you just making up words now? Yes, I am. I'm going with it today. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. I think the monarch is often consulted, and I think they'd be consulted about like who could move into that property. Charles couldn't just unilaterally be like hey I'm gonna make this guy homeless because there are loads of legal protections to stop people from being kicked out of their home yeah and I feel like the king getting sued by his brother is not a good look for anyone so I imagine they would take a route that would avoid that happening yeah maybe maybe just um <laughs> if the, that's how what initially the press's story was Andrew is going to be kicked out of Royal Lodge by Charles and for and we can see that that is just patently untrue um and I think maybe somebody pointed that out to them at some point and so when they realized that they kind of pivoted to a slight variation on the story um which was kind of the story part two which was that <laughs> not that Andrew was being kicked out of Royal Lodge by Charles but that Charles was going to cut Andrew's allowance which would mean that Andrew would have to move out the the kind of story was that Charles was um removing the the money he loans out because essentially as the monarch Charles holds the keys to the Duchy of Lancaster and can d 
distribute those funds kind of as he sees fit within a way because they're his funds <laughs> it's his money he can you know go on holiday with it if he wanted yep. um and that's what he kind of and the queen used to fund everyone with so it would have been you know if the queen gave pocket money to Beatrice and usually when they were younger it would have come from this um so the story is that Charles is taking it off uh, Andrew or at least reducing it from Andrew um which some unnamed sources that are close friends of Andrew in quotation marks have then come out and gone well that's completely unfair because the Royal Lodge is this massive 30 room house and it has a swimming pool and it needs a lot of repairs done and if Andrew doesn't get the subsidy he normally gets he used to get from the queen which was reportedly 249,000 pounds such a weird amount I know don't know who who would know that personally apart from the queen and Andrew but that's the number we've been given um which so if he doesn't have 249,000 pounds handed to him by his brother he won't be able to make this house look pretty and therefore will end up being homeless on the streets yeah so I think this this was the the story they pivoted to because it does have a bit more of a ring of truth about it. Um, you know, it, there's nothing in the law, there's nothing in the lease that says that Charles has to provide Andrew with the money to be able to keep the property going. So you know, this could be a way to kind of strangle him out. I suppose that's not that's a really violent phrasing of it. I, I don't know. I can't think of any other word. It's like a stranglehold. What's it called in war? Um, where you take somebody's um a siege siege the siege in the royal lodge yeah that's kind of what it is um that sounds very dramatic i like that that's what they'll they'll be called uh, when they make a movie about it but anyway um yeah yeah yeah, siege. (laughs) siege of royal lodge um but i think the things to say about this is like firstly the story has been kind of like one source from charles you know quote unquote one source from Andrew quote unquote hitting back it's very difficult to establish who those sources are and whether they have any sort of actual evidence so we don't currently know whether it's true that the Queen gave Andrew 249,000 pounds per year we also don't know whether it's true that and that Charles wants to decrease that sum um, and we also don't have any evidence that, that Andrew actually needs £250,000. Um, you know, maybe he wants it to be able to change the curtains or whatever it is, but he doesn't necessarily need the funds um, to do any sort of new renovations. And we know that he pays a legal term, which is my one of my favourite legal terms, um, which is a peppercorn. Um, <laughs> which is a peppercorn in rent, yeah, which is like... Um, it's a kind of legal term that just is like, it means the minimum. Um, so it's sort of a, a, a negligible sum, I suppose. And apparently the press have said, again, who knows where they're getting any of these figures from, <laughs> but the press have said that it's £250 a week, which amounts to £13,000 a year, which is not a huge amount of money for a royal. And I think, you know, over the years, he will have had inheritances from the Queen Mother, from his mother. Um, he probably, I mean, we know he was building up a lot of funds from um, certain activities that he did when he was royal. And, you know, so, I I mean, maybe he thinks he needs £250,000 a year to run the household, but he, there's no actual evidence that he does need it. Um, All he needs is £13,000 a year. And I am sure that he has access to that in some way or another. So I don't know if I really buy this story either, because, yeah, we don't have any evidence that 
the Queen gave Andrew this amount. We don't have any evidence that Charles is going to change it. I mean, he probably will, but we don't know. Um, and we have no Andrew, no evidence that Andrew actually needs it anyway. So I'd, I'd, it's a more believable story than the first iteration that they went out with. But I still don't necessarily know if it sounds, if, if they are arguing, if Charles and Andrew are arguing, it sounds like they're arguing about something that isn't really needed to, at all. Like he doesn't need £250,000 a year to keep that one house going. And it also sounds like their friends are doing all the arguing. Yes. It's, it's like, you know, the big the big quote that all comes out is like, Charles wants a slim down monarchy. Mm. Like, that quote has never come from Charles or nope. from Buckingham Palace. That's just a press story that has sort of evolved into a fact that everyone just accepts that Charles wants a slim down monarchy. And that means he's going to, you know, cut cut costs everywhere. And, you know, and I could I could guess at whether or not I think it's true based on what I know of Charles, but I, I have no knowledge of that. And the, the other sort of side to the, the stories that have come out and then are believed is the, like, Andrew is bankrupt story, mm. um, which, again, you could make a guess on that based on sort of your knowledge of Andrew and of some of his um, financial dealings. Mm. But, I mean, in, you know, 2003-04, he sold his first home, which was from the Queen, his wedding, wedding gift home, Sunning Hill, Something. Oh yeah, that was dodgy. Well, that's a different episode, but it was dodgy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was like like the Amna horse. It was a private residence, so he could sell it to a lovely Kazakh billionaire for fifteen million pounds. He could definitely have uh, made fifteen million pounds, but and I'm sure rich people can get through fifteen million pounds in like sixteen years. But in you know, assuming he invested some of it, or someone invested something, or that's not the only money he ever had in his entire life. Yeah, I, I think that's what the point is, is that it's like, I can't necessarily say Andrew has this amount of money in his bank account and this is where he got it from. But his entire life, he has never, other than being in the Navy, was it the Navy? Yeah, the Navy. Yeah. Other than being in the Navy, he has never had an actual real job. And yet he has always had plenty of money. And um, I am sure that there, I have no doubt in my mind that the Queen did not leave him without money when she when she died. I have no doubt that there was some kind of private inheritance that he received. I have a conspiracy theory about that. Go ahead. <laughs> that he knew that Charles wouldn't provide for Andrew, so left Andrew most of her money yeah. because he was her favourite. I'm fairly convinced that happened. Well, there was always stories, and I don't know if these were backed up or not, but there were always stories that the Queen Mother left more to Anne, Andrew, Edward and Harry than she left to Charles and William because she knew that one day they would they will they would have the Duchy of Cornwall and then the Duchy of Lancaster they would have financial security in a way that the other kids wouldn't necessarily so it wouldn't be outside the norm and like the queen's going to be dead so they can all fight <laughs> about it but they can't tell you know they can't be angry at her for it if if that was her decision so yeah i think we're kind of we're kind of moving into the commentary section here naturally but i i think i have some my theory is that either the press are just doing this to make up I mean, at the moment, not much is going on. Harry's been very quiet, so they've got not much else to talk about. And so they're trying to fill the pages with some kind of drama that seems exciting. Or my theory is that if it does come from Charles, which we don't have any proof that it does, but if it does, Charles knows what we said earlier, that he can't actually force Andrew out. And so he's making it as unpleasant as possible for him to live there so that he leaves <laughs> of his own free will. It's, I mean, it's all opinion pieces now, and there's so many of them coming out every day. But they are kind of rotating, and they have been. If I was I was looking on Google, I went to Google, I went to Google News, and I went back through, and sort of over the last six days, it rotated three stories, and it was like, Charles is not going to see Andrew homeless, he's a good person, and 
Andrew is going to be homeless, but has to be protected by his ex-wife and her family. And then poor Andrew. How could we kick him out of the house? That's so unkind. I think like when, when it first came up, I never thought we would talk about it in the podcast because I thought it would be over in a few days. But it's it's been a few weeks now that they've been talking about this. But it's like it's been bubbling for so long. Mm. And there's just like continuously. If I go on, I don't know twitter and look at what the rural reporters are talking about it's like engagement engagement royal lodge yeah. engagement royal lodge engagement we've not seen harry for a week royal lodge yeah <laughs> that's what it is yeah it's really strange but yeah i think in terms of some of the commentary i think we've kind of hinted at it a little bit so far one of the narratives that's coming out is that charles in his noble <laughs> sacrificial sort of way because he's just such a good kind wonderful person wants to you know it's hard for him to kick his brother out but it's all about cutting costs so that the taxpayer um gets the best value for money because that you know and all this basically it's the idea that charles is an incredibly noble person and that this decision is a really hard decision that he has to make in order to um cut costs of the monarchy yeah i mean even if you just look at like the the first bit of it which is probably the least irritating bit Charles doesn't even like Andrew. I am oh, yeah. fairly sure he would happily see him homeless on the street or like in a tiny one-bed flat somewhere. Like I bet Charles would be like, yeah, go on, enjoy. Yeah, I mean they've they've never been close. Charles is quite a bit older than Andrew. There was an eight, there was a quite a big gap. I think it was like six years between Anne, um, Anne and Andrew. And so there's always been this sort of Charles and Anne are close. Um, Andrew and Edward are close. And so it's I mean, they're family, but they've never been best buds. But um, the idea, it really bothers me that the idea that this decisions like this or any conversation that the press has about slimming down the monarchy, we've all seen it hundreds of times over the years that this idea of slimming down the monarchy, and it's always written about as like Charles wants to save the taxpayer money. The money that he receives from the taxpayer, which is kind of what we talked about earlier with the Crown Estate and how they made that agreement that the government would give taxpayer funding to um, the monarch in exchange for the the, um, surrendering of the Crown Estate, that rate, that amount is set by law. So if Andrew was kicked out of Royal Lodge, Charles might theoretically, maybe, possibly, be able to reallocate some funding that he would have spent on, I don't know, renovations for Royal Lodge or whatever, somewhere else. But it would not reduce the amount that the royal family get from the taxpayer. The only thing, <laughs> and I just, I want, this is the, the message I want people to come away from, from this, this section of this, if they learn anything, it's this is that whenever you hear these conversations, the only thing that reduces the taxpayer burden is if they change the law. Yeah, I think that's, you know, like when Harry and Meghan moved to America, we've not, I've not become richer as a result. No. Like, and, you know, it always, it does always make me laugh when I see people say like, Charles is in charge now, he can make all these decisions. And like, yes, he can make the decisions about the working part of the royal family, but and I know technically he is in charge of signing all the laws and technically is the most powerful person in the country, yada, yada, yada. But A, he's not going to just like start a democratic... create design. the laws from scratch by himself. <laughs> and also like, he's not, because like, it's it, the government is the... The prime minister is the most... Makes yeah. most of the decisions. And if Charles wanted something, you know, desperately, if he was sat there like, I really only want to cost the taxpayer five pence a year, you know, he'd have to go to the prime minister and the prime minister would say no how will we afford your gold carriage we need that it looks good you know and at you know at heart it's what the prime minister and the government want that yeah. the royals 
have to do not what not what Charles thinks is going to look nice the the amount of money that the, the monarchy gets is set by a specific formula that is written into law and until that changes the amount of money that the royals get will not change and and security is all managed privately it's got nothing to do with this process it's all sort of um a separate thing charles kicking andrew out of royal lodge would not save the taxpayer any money and i really hope that that's what that people don't fall into that trap the only thing it might do is save charles money from the duchy of lancaster which is not taxpayer funding it's it, that's a more complicated thing but it is technically his his private money so it might save him money and he might be really happy about that but that's got nothing to do with me yeah like it makes sense to me that charles wants to do less paying for the extraneous members of his family so he can spend more money on his wife and children and stepchildren and step-grandchildren and grandchildren and that sort of like inner the inner the inner sanctum and probably yeah because they get on quite well like if I was Charles or, you know, a, a queen of a country, I would probably be like, oh, I don't really want to pay for this sort of distant brother, mm. cousin, sister, whatever it is that, you know, my friend's niece that I don't particularly like. I would very much like to be like, oh, I'm just going to not pay him quite as much and just give it to people I like. Like That makes a lot of sense to me. I fully believe Charles is going or could go to Andrew and go, you know, we said we were going to give you £249,000 a year. Yeah, We're going to cut that to, you know... <laughs> hundred thousand pounds yeah and Andrew's gonna have a heart attack because Charles is like Camilla needs more dresses she's gonna be the queen you know and I I mean I'm I'm on board for that but it's it's like that's that's for Charles and it's just because they're reallocating the money within their family like restructuring the firm it's like you know like a budget like if you've got a budget and you're doing a a show a yeah. job you've got you set up a shop and you've got a thousand pounds and you spend 500 pounds on wallpaper then you're gonna have to reallocate your budget for everything else it doesn't mean you suddenly you know if you bought the 250 pound wallpaper instead of the 500 you've not got an extra money you've not said like oh it's only gonna cost me 750 pounds you just have more money to spend elsewhere that is exactly exactly right that that that's that was much more succinct than the way that i (laughs) described it i it really bothers me that they keep trying to promote this narrative in the press and i don't know if it's coming from charles's team or not but the press are doing it where um charles is making these decisions because he's thinking about the taxpayer he's not and that's fine if he if he you know that's a bigger conversation than him this arrangement came before he was the king but don't fall into the idea that he is trying to make difficult decisions because he wants to save you money. And also something that is not talked about very often is that if Andrew moves out before 2028, then we have to reimburse him. Yeah, I would much rather prefer to give Andrew £249,000 mm-hmm. a year um, rather than have to reimburse him to uh, up to £7 million. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's quite a significant fee. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount decreases year on year. So it, 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 well, I don't know. We don't know how much it would be. The alternative is Charles just keeps using his own private money, which has nothing to do with us, to give money to Andrew. So we would be punished, essentially, for a decision that Charles has made to save himself money. And I don't think that's actually nobly cutting back on costs like they're trying to convince us. I mean, I think I've, I've got a couple of other things that sort of came out as commentary. Um, and one is... Um, the, the kind of the narrative that's come out a lot that it's disgusting Andrew deserves to be kicked out because it's disgusting that he pays so little in rent which is I said earlier was 13,000 pounds a year it works out as now normally I would agree 
and I this is where I have to say that like I do not like Andrew and I'm going to say this so many times I am just looking at the facts of this situation and what people interpret from that is their business but I'm just telling you the facts in many cases I would agree that it seems obscene for somebody to be able to rent a mansion with multiple little properties a swimming pool and hect multiple hectares of land for so little but firstly when back in the early 2000s the crown estate actually offered him this property for free or they offered the royal family the property as a grace and favor so free which was what we were almost going to name the podcast and i would have changed my name to favor so we could be called grace and favor um but a great name. yeah great name <laughs> um so they offered it to them for free and the royal said no they pay for it um so actually it could have been significantly worse it could have been that andrew was paying no rent whatsoever and got the home totally for free um but also Andrew, when Andrew moved into Royal Lodge, it was agreed that he would pay this low rate, um, this low rent in exchange for paying 7.5 million in renovation costs, and which those would otherwise have had to be paid by the Crown Estate. And I went to my inflation calculator, um, <laughs> did some quick maths. And if you look at if you sort of factor in inflation, because this was 2003, um, and then divide it by 75 years, on top of his sort of monthly rent that he pays the peppercorn of £1,000 a month, it would work out that and if you sort of divided it, it would work out that Andrew is paying £14,000 extra in rent per month because of that £7.5 he invested at the beginning, which is actually much more, it's probably still below market value, but it's actually much more reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I've never personally rented a 30-bed property with, a 30-bed, 30 30-room 30 property with a swimming pool, but I'm fairly sure that, you know, it, I, I would have expected to pay closer to £15,000 rather than £250. And also, when they did the renovation costs and he initially signed that thing to say, oh, I'll pay £7.5 million, a couple of years later, they looked at it and went, actually, the renovations are only going to cost around £5 million, but he still paid £7.5 million. He said, well, I said I was going to pay. So he's paid more than he ever would need to, which is where that compensation was going to sort of really kick in because he's already paid I'll say above and beyond. But he's paid more than he would have had to if it was his own house and he was renovating it he's paid more so I mean not to sound very he's like he's paid a lot for that that house really mm -hmm. um especially if you consider consider you know compared to other royals who live in crown estate properties yes absolutely and I think this is where I agree with you that it sounds like we're saying oh but Andrew's done so much I'm not saying that Andrew deserves to live in the property or anything of that nature based on what I'm saying all I'm saying is that the press have gone with this idea that or, you know, I think maybe they've realised that they didn't get people as excited as they wanted them to be or something like that. Or they're trying to increase, you know, heap this pressure onto Andrew. Maybe it, that's what my theory is, right? And they're trying to heap pressure on Andrew so that he moves out. And their narrative seems to be, well, as a taxpayer, you should care about this because he's only paying a tiny amount of mo money in rent every month. But actually, he's paying significantly more than they're essentially he's paid significantly more than they've said he, he is because they're not mentioning that original seven and a half million which is according to inflation about 12 million now um and like this whole arrangement was audited by a separate part of of by a separate agency the national audit office and they found that it was value for money and that it was it had gone through all the proper procedures and there was nothing suspicious in there so I think it seems absurd that he can rent such a huge property for such a tiny amount of money but actually it, the, the press are deliberately leaving things out. You know, there's a few, a few other uh, commentary pieces that I'll come to, but I think the, the the narrative is very strongly like, and from the press and also from 
the royal watchers who mm-hmm. I normally say are far better informed than the press and it is well he deserves to be kicked out and lists reasons like he's only be he's only paying this much money and he's living on a crown property so I'm paying for it and you know all of that and I think I can understand the point of view because you know if it was up to me if I could just randomly assign the royal lodge to someone I'd probably assign it to me not to Andrew <laughs> but since I can't do that um like legally it's his rented house and also I mean I'm not comparing them to Edward and Sophie because I'm in my anti-Sophie phase yeah <laughs> Edward and Sophie probably in terms of peppercorn rent pay about the same as Andrew probably about 250 pounds a week if not less because they are working royals um and as far as we know did not have to pay a 7.5 million pounds renovation before they started so and I know Edward and Sophie do work for the royal families and they've never been accused as far as I know of um being close friends with a convicted sex offender and you know they still work for the royal family but they're lower down in the line of succession there's two of them they've got adult children you know all very nearly adult children living with them like that's very costly and they're doing it for 250 pounds in a nice house in Windsor yeah and no one's ever gone how dare Edward you live in that house everyone's like what is Edward he sometimes unveils plaques funny we should be allowed it (laughs) Yeah, I think that kind of that that's my last big commentary section actually is Andrew deserves to be thrown out. And that's the overarching narrative of this, I think, is Andrew deserves it. Whether it's legal or not, whether it will save us money or not, who cares about any of that? Andrew deserves it. And I want to start by saying that I will not be kept up awake at night by the thought that Andrew is getting kicked out of a gigantic mansion in Windsor. That I, you know, <laughs> I I I'm not crying over it. But while I find him as a person to be abhorrent and I don't think that he should have been a working royal even before the Jeffrey Epstein stuff he was still bad before that um he is legally innocent and that doesn't necessarily matter to us as commentators like I can think what I want I can think he's guilty if I want to but it does mean that he shouldn't be treated differently based on a crime that according to the law he has not committed especially because the courts operate in Charles's name I think the problem is here they shouldn't be giving people 75 year leases. Um, that's that's a big problem. They shouldn't be doing that because you might have a situation like this. 75 years is a long time. And people can do a lot of terrible things in that time. Um, and you can't know that the agreement that you had when things were first kicked off is going to be the same 75 years from then. Um, I think they did it because the property is very sensitively located. So it actually can't be offered on the open market it has to um, go to either a member of the royal family or maybe a friend um, but it's not one of those ones that could be rented by anybody like some some properties and so I think having it sit empty would probably also be a bad look that like this is a giant mansion that's just got you know going into disrepair and is not being used that would have its own problems so I understand why they they offered it to Andrew um, but and I understand why it was for so long, but I think that that's, that's the issue. It's not necessarily that Andrew is a terrible person, which I agree with. It's the fact that he got given a 75 year lease. And so now he, they, he is well within his rights to stay, to say, but this is my house. I have legal protection and none of you can kick me out. Um, I will squat here if I have to like, so I, yeah, I think, um, I, you know, personally, I would love to know that Andrew is destitute. Um, but I also, as a tenant myself, don't want there to be a precedent that you can kick somebody out even if they've signed a lease just because you don't like them very much yeah I also think you know I think the timing of when Andrew signed the lease probably 
was in his favour because it was a year after the Queen Mother died. She died in the Royal Lodge. So you probably didn't want to be like, oh, this is where the last Queen died. Come and live here, random person. But also he signed it in his 40s. Um, for 75 years so at no point when he signed that lease everyone was aware he was going to have that royal lodge for life and you know I don't know if there was massive family friction at the time someone going how dare you give Andrew this house for 75 years I only want him to have it for 15 you know but if Aunt Charles and his siblings had felt I mean first of all I doubt they felt that strongly particularly Anne and Edward who have their own properties that I'm sure they pay a similar rent I know Anne owns her own properties as well but Edward in particular, who has a similar situation, probably doesn't want to raise the point that you shouldn't be giving out leases that are this long because then he will also have to stop paying his, I think, slightly longer. I don't know why his lease was like 100 years. It's not It's not a shock to anyone that Andrew still has is allowed to live there. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a nice home. It's a big home. It's got a swimming pool. It's private, pretty much. Um, so they gave it to him in a, essentially like, live here forever. Something else that is kind of around this conversation is the press are kind of talking about this as if Charles has all the power because he has the money. Um, And so Andrew has none of the power. And so Charles can just kick Andrew out or Charles can make things so uncomfortable for Andrew that he he has to leave and all those sorts of things. But I actually think Andrew has more power in this situation than people might want to admit. Um, So... Andrew knows far more secrets than Harry does because Andrew was an adult during the diet, the war of the Wales era. And he's known Charles since he was a child. So he knows way more dirt than Harry ever could just by being alive for longer. And he also has much more nefarious connections than Harry uh, with people who are far worse than Epstein. And he still has connections with those people. So yes, absolutely. Charles could cut off Andrew and that a consequence of that might be that he has to move out of Royal Lodge. But I think what people are forgetting is all Harry did in response to being cut off was embarrass his family. Andrew could like sell state secrets to dictators. And so I my view is like Andrew has rightly, completely justifiably been stripped of the things that matter to him, which is like his social capital and kind of the expectation that people will show deference to him. Like, as much as I hate Andrew and I don't want him to be rewarded, I kind of just keep things going and give him £250,000 a year if that's what he needs, because I think the consequences could be significantly worse than anything we've seen from Harry. Yeah, I I know, like, there's been a kind of a, a sort of sub-narrative around, like, Charles is, you know, cutting this money and it's going to affect everyone and it's really unfair on, like, poor Louise and her ponies that she's inherited from Philip because Charles doesn't want to pay for their upkeep anymore justice for the ponies guys um but i mean like that's if charles really is like i don't care about these ponies you know edward sophie louise you're on your own with this like fair enough save your money by and reallocate for more gowns for camilla by not paying for the ponies maybe don't throw the man with who has very strong relationships with and who before has been known to maybe blow a wee bit of trading information very sort of undercover way but if the big issue is oh no the roof and the swimming pool at Royal Lodge is falling in like there are ways around it if that's such a big issue like I if he really wants to reduce the subsidies for Andrew he can do it without causing without kicking him out of Royal Lodge which is what will cause the big issue 
it's a it's a cost cost benefit analysis really or what are the benefits and the risks of us kicking andrew out so like the benefit is the public might like that because we don't really like andrew and we don't really want him to be able to live in a giant mansion but the risk of that is that if he's got if if somebody's if you reduce somebody to a point where they've got nothing left to lose then they'll do desperate things and i worry about what andrew could do with that because he has those connections and he has that information and so that's it's not again i want to restate this it's not because i like andrew it's not because i believe that he deserves anything special it's not because i care about him and feel sad that he might be on the streets it's it's literally a ruthless cost benefit analysis of like it might just be better to let him you've taken away his working royal status you've taken away his hrh you've taken away his military positions you've embarrassed him as rightly you should but maybe you shouldn't go further than that because it could uh backfire and that's what i think they need to to think about yeah i think whereas the ponies have no power <laughs> and are very unlikely to sell state secrets if they make them homeless andrew on the other hand i don't know andrew has more dirty secrets than the rest of them put you know knows more dirty than everyone else put together the more the like mainstream press are pushing their like charles is kicking andrew out narrative and it's all charles is powerful like even if andrew isn't going to go like nuclear on them and sell state secrets to another country he could cause a lot of damage on a on a smaller level just by being like you know your friend the reporter tell them story 37 <laughs> Okay, so for our slightly more cheerful topic um, of this episode, uh, well, I don't know, it could it could descend into anything, who knows? But um, uh, we on the twenty third of February, it was Princess Estelle of Sweden's eleventh birthday, and it was celebrated with the release of a brand new photo. So we're going to do what we've done a few times in the past for birthday photos and kind of dissect it um with absolutely no knowledge of photography whatsoever uh complete amateurs but we're going to give our opinion anyway um and so the photograph was um taken by linda right um and she is a regular for uh, royal photographer um and the photograph was taken at their home of Hyga palace earlier in february um i think so before I kick off with the actual details of the photograph, I will just say that I like that they've stuck with similar photographers. Um, I don't know, as, as a non-photographer person, I don't actually know that Linda's style is anything dramatically different from any other photographer, I don't really know. Um, but I know <laughs> that Linda did a lot of the photographs when they launched their new website last year. So I kind of like that they're sticking with the same aesthetic and making everything kind of um consistent there isn't going to be suddenly like some dark gloomy photograph of Estelle for her birthday it's all very consistent <laughs> and probably very sensible as well with kids because it means they can build up a relationship with a photographer yeah I think you can always tell when um there are children in particular have like the same go-to photographer because sometimes you get like a period where they have like three different photographers taking pictures of them in a year and then you get another year where they've got the same photographer doing it three times. And you're like, I see which one is better. Yeah, they can build up relationships. I think Estelle's probably fine. Like she, she, I'm sure she could adapt to anyone. But if they do all the photographs for Oscar, whose birthday is not too far away at the same time, then he's a bit more 
reserved and so it's probably nice for him to know his photographer so yeah but before I even got into the photograph I just wanted to say I thought that was nice (laughs) that was a nice ad nice touch nice thing yeah um we will post the link to the photograph in um, the description of the episode so that you can all see it and kind of look at it while we're talking about it um but I think my first observation is when (laughs) why what, what uh, she how who allowed this she's she looked the the main thing was she looked so grown up she did look she looked so grown up and so much older than she did in her birthday photo last year yeah and I think like two years ago there felt like there was a really big like jump in how grown up she was but then this one was just like it was almost like looking at a different child who <laughs> <laughs> are you yeah and I've been trying to pinpoint exactly why I feel like she looks so grown up because it may, maybe she has aged considerably in the last year or so. I think that, you know, she's 11 years old. She's getting into that teenage period. So there is a bit of a growth spurt that happens a lot of the time, especially for girls around this age. So I get that. But I don't know. I, I've been trying to pinpoint it. And I think maybe it's something about the pose. So in the pose, she's like, she's sitting, um, but she's kind of leaning forward. It's very assertive. And she's like looking directly into the camera. It's very like... I don't know, it's just very assertive, very confident for an 11-year-old. I would have just been like, oh, I don't want to do the photograph, mum. And it would have been me glaring at the camera. Um, uh, and then also, her hair. Yes. So... She's up hair now. Yeah, the hair was straightened. Um, she often, I think, has her hair, like, loose, and, like, it's kind of... Um, it looks like she's been playing in the garden, like a child. Um, or it's, like, up in a ponytail, so you don't really get to see it but they don't like straighten it in the way that they did and I I, I don't know I I've, maybe it's different now because kids are growing up so fast I sound so old but they are growing up so fast but like that was a big grown-up thing to do when I was 11 to straighten your hair yeah definitely I think you know you've seen her I think with more straightened sort of hair before I think when she was mm-hmm. maybe her eighth birthday photo so hair was a bit straighter but it, they were more like she looked she was like leaning forward so she still looked she was like more it was a youthful pose of like she wasn't sitting back or yeah or fine she was more like she just happened to have slightly straight to hair but yeah normally it's either kind of like I don't want to say frizzy but that kind of hair like you get when you've been outside and it's got yeah, like yeah. your hair starting to stick up and it's it's just child's hair and it's what they look like when they come home after a long day at school except it's better with the bow you know <laughs> yeah yeah she she looked a lot like Victoria looked at that age I think more than I've ever noticed before um with the just the pose more than anything (laughs) yeah I'm totally useless at telling um how uh, uh, sort of spotting similarities between people quite famously like even every so me and my mum everybody throughout my entire life has said that we look so similar that we're like twins and I like we look we look alike but I don't know I think we look like separate people with separate faces so I've never I'm and that's me and my mum I, I look I don't look at anybody else's faces more than mine and my mum's probably except for maybe Michael Fassbender but that's a different conversation um <laughs> but you know I think it's so you know I'm not good at spotting similarities but there was something definitely in like the facial expression 
I noticed that Estelle has very similar, she's very expressive in the same way that her mum is, whereas Oscar is a bit more like his dad in that he always looks a bit sour and he's very sweet and a lovely little boy, but he always looks very stoic and serious like Daniel does, who, you know, is also very warm and kind and lovely, but looks very serious, whereas Estelle and Victoria are both like open smiles, exuberant, confident, they're very expressive. And I don't know, the, the kind of like serious grown up, she was almost like squinting at the camera um of like this was looking this is obviously her grown-up face it felt like to me um and smizing as they would have said on America's Next Top Model that that's a pose I've definitely seen Victoria do when she was young yeah I also think she's got a really like toothy smile like she smiles with her teeth and the other the other birthday the one from a few years ago that I thought was the a big jump was another one where she smiled with her sort of mouth closed closed mouth and she did that again this time and I it, it does feel like a more grown-up smile because like children are very like with reckless abandon they just like grin at you um that's not saying like adults don't smile with their mouth open but she's always had this really toothy smile right from when she was tiny um and I think it it does just look a lot more grown up when she's just like it's like a, this is my photography smile <laughs> this isn't my real smile yeah and I think that dates you quite well because for a while she had like a tooth missing which is such a you know I typical child phase where they go through that phase where like one of their front teeth is missing um I don't know what age they change sort of schools in Sweden mm. but because they start school later but in obviously in Britain that would be the time when you'd 11 or about to go to secondary school and that's what it felt like to me it felt like last year of primary school photo <laughs> like it's, you're, you're the biggest child in school and you're going to be all grown up and you're going to do a slightly more grown-up photo because you're the like the big fish in a small pond and you're a grown-up now because you're 11 and you're ready to go on and live your life. And then you go to sort of secondary school and you're like the tiny ones again. And it's all like, oh no, I'm still a child, it's fine. I have never felt more powerful in my life than I when I was in primary seven. We were like 10 to 11, because um, we're a bit younger in Scotland when we moved. So, um, but I have never felt more powerful in my entire life, except for maybe when I was in sixth year of secondary school. Like being in the last year, psychologically, you're like, you're the boss of the playground. <laughs> and that is psychologically very powerful. <laughs> Or maybe it was just me. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I, I definitely think you get to like, you know, the last year of primary school, second school or something. And you're like, I've done this now. Yeah. I'm good on this. Yeah. I'm practically an expert at everything. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know when they swap schools in Sweden, whether they do it a bit later because they start later. But it kind of felt, it looked like a picture someone would do like, you know, they're just, she's about to go off to her leavers disco at the end of <laughs> primary school and she wants mum to get a grown-up picture of her because she's grown up in her grown-up skirt so yeah it was very cute uh something else I talked about on tumblr which is not really I've got it in my notes so I might as well say it is that even though she's only a, a year and a little bit older than George she looking at that photograph she feels like four years older than George to me and if I looked at the photographs again of George I might not actually think that when I look at them but in my head she is four years older than him yeah, like in my head, George is a chubby-cheeked, toddling six-year-old, mm-hmm. and Estelle is, you know, a tall, young tween. My theory is that a lot of it is because she was born before I was blogging, and like I divide things up into like BC and AD. It's like BB and AB after blogging and before blogging, um, and she's before blogging, so it feels very ancient and old compared to George, where I have a reference point and I know you know, I remember him being born. So like, it feels more recent to me. Um, but I also think part of it is maybe 
sometimes not I think they're getting better but sometimes in the past they've released like a Christmas photograph that was taken six months earlier so we can't necessarily know that George looks like that now whereas it's always been pretty consistent in Sweden that they take photographs that were taken that month or maybe six weeks earlier so we can kind of get a sense of this is probably what Estelle looks like it's more accurate um, of like a depiction of what she actually looks like at that time yeah it's completely like there's a bunch of there's not a bunch of them but from Princess Athena of Denmark to um, I don't know whoever is the youngest Mia or Leon or that kind of I think it's Leah, uh, Mia Tyndall that's like there's Athena of Denmark Estelle Leonor George and uh, Mia and they're all very close in age but Athena in my head is about 14 like she's way older than the others and then you've got Estelle and then you've got Leonor and then you've got like this massive gap until George and then an even bigger gap until Mia when in reality there's like a few months between George and Mia and a few months between George and Leonor and almost a year between you know or two years between Estelle and Leonor and it's it's just like it's bizarre to me to think that you know Athena and Estelle are a month apart in age. Yeah, that's bonkers. Like, they are not. They are several years apart in age. Athena is nearly a grown-up. But then if you were comparing, you know, Leonor and George, or George and Mia, Leonor is practically in a job, and Mia's Mm. barely, you know, barely walking in my head. (laughs) They are two different ages, and they're all born in the same year. It's so interesting that we do that. I I honestly don't know why. I don't know if it's, like, some of it is to do with exposure of, like, we'd have a less accurate picture of their age if we don't see them as much. I don't know, because like I think on both ends of that scale, we think Athena's older than she is because we don't see her as much, and we think Mia's younger than she is because we don't see her as much. Um, I don't really know why it is that we, we, but we, but I'm glad I'm not alone in kind of just having this completely inaccurate picture in my mind of how old all these people are in relation to each other. Yeah, I always, it was, I don't even remember when it was that I figured out Estelle and Athena were the same, like, literally a month yeah. apart, because I was, I think I must have been looking for something, and I was like, well, so Athena's about 14, so she'd be here, and yeah. Estelle's seven, so she'll be here, <laughs> and I was looking, I was like, no, they're the same age, <laughs> like, that can't be right, I was double-checking it, like, doing the maths myself, in case you ever did Wikipedia's counted wrong, <laughs> it can't be, it's impossible. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're not alone in that. So I'm glad um, we've got each other, even if no one else agrees with us. Um, so, yeah, I think that was my main impression was just it's yet another example of our existential crisis of I'm getting old because she looks like a like a young lady. I hate this phrase, but she looks like a young lady. Um, and I, I they did not run it past me before this happened. And we agreed they would run their children's aging past me and they have not stuck to their side of the bargain. <laughs> so far apart from you know Estelle's the first one of the like little children that I've gone oh a young a young lady or a young yeah. man like all the others I'm like what a big girl she is yeah. what a big boy yeah. and she's the first one and I'm like oh no she's not a big guy anymore she's a young lady she's a young lady <laughs> it's different um, <laughs> yeah there's a different vibe but so yeah I think that was my overall impression but I do think I have to be fair And so I have to criticise this photograph, as I would if this was a photograph that was released by the British royal family. I cannot let my bias of loving the Swedish royal family, and particularly the crown princess family, overshadow my opinions. So in interest of fairness, I was really disappointed that they only released one photograph. Yeah, I saw the I saw the I saw the first photograph. I saw the photograph and I was like, ah, can't wait to see the others. Yeah, there wasn't any. Yeah, and I think they often do this where they'll like release a photograph later on in the day to say thank you. 
or where they'll put one photograph on their Instagram and on the main page of the website. But then if you go into the, the section of the press section where they keep all the photos, they'll have like two or three others that were taken in the same photo shoot. They just haven't really told you about them for some reason. So I figured, OK, well, we've got one. But when I go onto the website, there'll be more. Um, there were there was not. And um, I don't really know why there was only one, because that's not. I mean, it's kind of, I think it's maybe kind of a trend in the Swedish royal family that they definitely, I feel anyway, have been stepping back the birthday photo thing. So it's like one photograph or for the ones who kind of, the lower down ones who kind of got moved out of the royal house into and just are members of the royal family. Um, we don't get photographs on the website at all anymore. So I don't know if it's just a general trend for them that they're trying to reduce our expectations so we don't think we're going to get three photos every year. <laughs> But it is disappointing because they did set up set that up as like every year you're gonna get multiple photographs and now it's like one. Yeah, I think for when they separated the royal family and the royal house, royal court, whatever they called it, um, like there was that clear switch when like Madeline's children and Carl Phillips' children went to only like one picture on their private social media, well, public social media, but not their official ones. Yeah rather than it being through the court. And it kind of made sense, like they had one picture released by the family and then Estelle and Oscar had two or three pictures released by the, you know, by the court, by the yeah. palace. And then it, I think because we got it shortly after Leonor's birthday photo, yeah, I was like, it's the same thing, it's just a picture. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, I think my other criticism on top of that is like, I would have been willing to accept that it would have been one photograph if it had been a bit more exciting so obviously I mentioned, you know, it's an assertive pose and we found we were able to talk about that for like five minutes. So, you know, it's, there was something to talk about. But I think even just it was just her sitting, really. And even just throwing in like the dog. Would I was going to say, where's the dog? Yeah, that, this is our our running theme is every time we talk about birthday photos or any official photographs, it's like, why are there not dogs in it? You've got dogs. What What is the purpose of having a dog if you don't include them in every photo shoot you do? I don't understand it. So yeah, I think even just throwing in the dog would have given the photograph some dimension. And like, I remember back when her birthday photos, when she was younger and she would be like outside skiing or Oscar would be in them and they'd be playing together. Or there was one of my favorites, well, there's a couple of my favorites where she was posing with a birthday cake. And I don't know, I just it's lovely to see her and I don't want to sound ungrateful that's always my worry when I talk about birthday photos of kids is that I sound ungrateful but she could have just been doing something that would have made it more interesting <laughs> if they were only going to give us one no I agree I think the first thing I thought when I looked at it apart from that it was very lovely to see and I can't wait to see others was that I don't want to say she didn't look like a child because obviously she looks like a child but she's only 11 yeah and it felt like a grown-up picture mm -hmm. of her Mm -hmm. which is all very well and good and maybe she wants to look more grown up maybe she's in a phase where she's like mom I'm a grown-up now mm. <laughs> I want yeah. to do my own hair bear makeup to school you know but we've we always, we always complain about the Cambridges it's like why are they just sat there why are they walking like where's, a, where's my action shot um and I think the Swedes for so long were really good at doing you know balloons or cake or dogs or you know even if it was just a, one picture, it would be like one picture that was, you know, bright and yeah. it felt like, I always felt like with, you know, with Carl, Philip and Sophia's children, like sometimes they'd only get one picture, but they'd be peering behind a wall or they'd have yeah. flowers and, you know, it would be something really like, oh, that's nice. And I mean, I didn't know what, she, she could have had the dog sat on her lap or, you know, she could have been 
sat in the garden on a swing. I don't know what children do these days. <laughs> Sticking stickers in a sticker book. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely things they do, stickers and sitting on swings. <laughs> but I was like, they wouldn't, she could have done them. It still looked very grown up and assertive. Yeah. But also still like an 11-year-old girl. Yeah, I think even what you just said about balloons, like they have enough money to buy some balloons. I'm sure they do. I'm sure, I know things are difficult in the Swedish royal family, well, all royal families um, because of COVID and stuff, but like you have enough money to buy some balloons and stick them on the chair that she was sitting on. Like that could have, that could have made it more interesting and more birthday-ish, but it kind of, it did feel, and I, I, I know that this didn't happen because the photographs were taken in February, but it does feel almost like, you know, we took a we did a photo shoot so we might as well just use one of these ones rather than getting a new photograph it didn't feel birthday-ish and it also didn't feel like the air and like the heirs to the heirs photo because they're always a bit more pizzazz well I say that George's photos are always way more boring than the siblings but <laughs> for the Swedes it's always slightly more pizzazzy and you know it's the big one you're like well you're going to get pictures of Estelle for the rest of her life because she's the future queen and you know and she's always had you know more photos than Oscar and more photos than her cousins and we've always been a little bit bigger and a little bit more and it just I was like if this is what you're giving us stuff what are you giving Oscar it's gonna be yeah. sat in a dark room <laughs> just a picture of his kneecap or something and that's all we'll get <laughs> I mean I'll, I'm not gonna complain if they suddenly give Oscar six photos because we've complained here and they've got like two have got a stellar like that would be fine it's not like she's 17 and they're weaning back to one photo <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah, which I could understand if, like, she was becoming an adult. Like, it's not, they only give one photograph usually if it's Victoria's birthday or Daniel's birthday. So I could understand, and it's always quite boring. It's just them looking at a camera in a nice outfit. So I could understand if they were going to do that because she was becoming an adult, but she is not becoming an adult. She is 11. It pains me to say that because I everybody knows how much I love them, but I have to be fair and criticise <laughs> because I would I know I would do it if it was George's birthday. <laughs> I um, googled, was googling the picture to look at, you know, what what people were saying and looking at, you know, like mm. who'd taken it and stuff. And I stumbled across this article, <laughs> which was okay. the most nonsense article I'd ever seen. I was like, Princess Estelle, inspired by the Duchess of Cambridge's houndstooth wardrobe. Oh, for goodness sake. I just, it it completely cracked me up because I've noticed over the last kind of year or so, the, the mainstreams of royal press have covered the kind of European royals a lot more. Yeah. But almost like via the British royals. Yeah. So they'll be like, oh, Crown Princess Mary's doing this thing, just like William did. They didn't even compare her to George. They compared her to Kate, who was a grown woman. And uh, she didn't invent houndstooth. She's not even that, like, closely a suit. She's not like, oh, no. Kate, houndstooth. She's always wearing it. She's wearing it, like, three times. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Like, do you remember when we talked about Denmark? Um, yes. And Queen Margrethe and how everyone was like, oh, well, Queen Margrethe has made the decision to cut off parts for her family to make it easier for Charles to do it. It's like, no, she didn't. <laughs> I'd love to imagine that too. Like, they sit there and go, how could we help the Brits? They're really struggling again this week, guys. And they have like a group chat and like, what should we do to help them out? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll... I know, I'll cut off my children. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I'll cause a massive drama where half my family publicly hate me for weeks. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I that's, that's, I hadn't seen that article and I'm very glad that I haven't because I would just be like, yeah. I, I mean, I guess they have to write a certain number of articles in order to justify their salary, don't they? So thank you for joining us for our episode this week. Uh, there was serious finance, financial 
discussions and happy birthday photos of an 11 year old. So we really run the full gamut of topics that we could talk about today. Um, but yeah, we um, hope that you enjoyed the episode. Uh, hope that you join us next week. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do rate us five stars because we have very fragile egos and it really helps us out. Um, but other than that, it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Thank you.